Hello, I'm Ramey. And I'm Beth. And this is Brother News Quest, the podcast where I, your host, introduce my sister to the wonderful world of tabletop role-playing games. Beth, do you know what we're talking about today? No clue. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Numenera and the one where the roaches are vicious. The cipher system, the generic version of Numenera. Numenera Blank better. slate. Blank slate. You just put whatever setting you want to. And so this is a, another add-on for the cipher system. It kind of gives it a setting. I'll talk a little bit about the setting and what this book is used for. And it is, hold on. God Forsaken. Yes. It's a fantasy supplement for Cypher System RPG by Monty Cook Games. The back of the book pretty much says dragons, magic wands, singing swords, and flying carpets. And above all, heroes. <laughs> it's uh, Aladdin. Yes. What fantasy world inspire you? The classic high fantasy of Tolkien, modern fantasy like Harry Potter series, Dresden Files, which is my favorite fantasy series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Paranormal Romance, the whimsy of settings like Discworld or Dark Crystal. I'm not too familiar with those two, but I've heard of them. Dark Crystal, that is created by the same person that created the Labyrinth movie. Yeah. With David Bowie. I haven't watched it. I have it, though. Sword and sorcery are gritty, low magic settings. So we know what fantasy settings kind of are. And just so you know, this is the newer fantasy supplement they have for the Cypher system. It is a white book called God Forsaken. They have another book called Gods of the Fall. We'll talk about that next time. It's a little bit older of a book, but Gods Forsaken is fairly new. You get the basics of what's going on in Cypher system. You get your your three to six things like we talked about glaives and nanos. Okay. This book has everything you need to create your own setting. They also come with their own fantasy setting, which sounds pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cover a few of the character options this time first. Okay. Just the basic stuff before I switch to the setting. You have things like alchemist, cleric or priest, bard, barbarian, assassin, spy, druid, fighter, inquisitor. Always liked inquisitors. What's Um, an inquisitor? Inquisitors are usually explorers, speakers, or warriors. You know, the things we talked about. Yeah. Uh, depending on whether their inclinations are for having many skills, being good at interacting with people or combat. Appropriate foci are infiltrates, meets out justice, and operates undercover. You know, the kind of flavor for your... Yeah. I like the idea of Inquisitors. Gunslinger is an option. Okay. Yeah. Merchants. Uh, monk or martial artist. Paladin. Holy Knight. Paragon. Ranger, rogue, or thief, sorcerer, some of my other favorites. Sorcerer has a huge section in here. Okay. Uh, trickster or con artist. I like those two. A war wizard, a warlock or witch, a wild mage, and a regular old wizard. And they give you a lot of detail about each of these and how you could build them. You could build your own. They give you all the stuff you need to build your own. Uh, if you just want to mix and match any of these together. There's new foci, like takes animal shape uses wild magic, walks the wild woods, wields enchanted weapons. It gives you a list of animals you can take the form of if you need to. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it gives you a list of qu- equipment you could use, uh, all the basic stuff, you know, uh, armors, descriptions. And instead of Numenera, you know how we had ciphers and Numeneras, the things, instant use items that kind of go away and you find, you have instant use things in here is like uh Think of them as like magic potions and stuff like that, or magic scrolls you just read and they will go away, but it has an amazing, crazy ability, stuff like that. Kind of like any cipher, but less sciency and more fantasy. Yeah. You have sections on death and resurrection, all the equipment, like I said, ritual magic, which is where you take a bit of time and more ceremony, but to get the magic instead of using your own power. 
It has side effects for failure, GM intrusions and such. You remember those? Yeah. yeah. Some of the creatures you can come across, like evil priests, fairies, elemental of all types. Here's a thorn elemental. What's a thorn It's a mixture of a Loch Ness monster and a bug. It says, the grisly sign of an active thorn elemental in areas of heavy woods or jungles is the presence of shriveled bodies dangling from vines, dead of strangulation, and poison. Form elementals take form in areas dense with woody growth under threat by hatchet, axe, saw, or something else similar. So they show up to protect the forest. They are just... Well, that's good. Yeah, the forest protecting itself. They have the gorgons and the hags, you know, things like that. A harpy, Bealton, the Norse giants. Oh. They have hydras. Oh, look, a lich. They have the frost giants, Jotun, merfolk, manticores, creepy looking things. I like merfolk. Yeah. Minotaurs, a noble knight, and a necromancer. Sapient trees. If you're playing D&D, they'd be called treants. A goat man. Sapient trees. A goat man is a um, satyr. A soul eater, which is a skull that eats your soul, a shadow. See, I've had to deal with um, soul heads on Doom. Yeah, they're creepy, aren't they? And they just pop out of nowhere. They're irritating. Yeah, launch into you. Uh, the uh, assault weapon helps out a lot. I know. Okay, now I'm going to stop reading off the random things that I come across in this book and go to the um, setting, because that's what we're really here for. The Godforsaken setting is about brave souls venturing out of the safety and comfort of their homes into places as removed from all they hold dear as could be imagined. The world is in no danger. They do not, for any reason, worry about their home because it is protected by gods that live in this area. But if you go outside of that area, you're not as protected. But you can come back and you get fame and fortune from your trips out, of course. They pretty much live in a utopia, but it's always nice to have more money and notoriety. I can do without the fame, but if I went outside of my house every time I I got fortune, I would definitely go out more. Yeah. Well, they, they don't just go out of their house. They go out of their kingdom, pretty much. Oh, well, even better. Okay, at the heart of this setting lies Bonthir. I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. A place most people simply call the Blessed Land, which makes sense. Um, it is protected by a pantheon of gods called the Sacred. It's considered a paradise, like I said. They walk amongst the people, usually with a retinue of followers that they've handpicked. They seem to be benevolent and take care of the place. And the only reason people want to go out is to learn, experience stuff come back with goodies and same it is a place of green hills full of grazing cows fields of golden grain forests of strong trees and plentiful wildlife towns and cities clean streets and welcoming structures it is great Uh, imagine heaven i guess i don't know but the power of the gods is present in all aspect of life like there's no avoiding there are gods kind of like dnd you know they're out there but some people just want to play without caring i guess you could travel just to be getting away from this yeah five gods that's how many there really are part of the sacred <laughs> uh, they are sometimes referred to as a family although divine each god has a physical body and appears human inexplicable majesty cannot be mistaken when you appear when you look at them so even if they look human you can tell almost always accompanied by a retinue of carefully selected mortals they sometimes dwell together in the city of a uh, curve although they each have individual palaces that they can Chill in somewhere else. Must be nice. <laughs> you have uh, Bilosh or Biliosh, the protector. He's the uh, 
your typical barrel-chested father figure. He guards this land and everyone in it. He prevents war and calamity, awarding them off with divine sword and shield. Thank you, Papa. Okay. Uh, Then you have Anyana, the provider. She is the mother of the world, as you would probably guess. She feeds the hungry and watches over the sick and the weak. Aids those in need in general. Okay. Ariana is spelt the same way, just with an R, not an N, so. Okay. Maybe it's like that. Maybe. I don't know. But either way, that's pretty. Yeah. I like her. And, I mean, it's a really pretty name. Monty Cook and, and Bruce Arcordell and the people who write all this stuff, they're really good at world building. Um, farmers love her for each bountiful harvest. Vandermeer is reportedly the all-knowing, at least in regards to all things in this land, in the Blessed Land. She knows where everything and everyone is, and she sees uh, she sees what the future brings. I mean, that's, that's cool. She masters knowledge, roads, books, and maps. Cool. Go her. Yeah. The only reason I'm going into the deities so much is because this land is literally about these deities. And they sound pretty cool. And kind of chill. Evermon the Spark. Evermon appears to be an eternal child. Although he is experienced and wise, and obviously very old, he gives the spark of life and blessing of movement. That is weird, isn't it? Every living thing owes this god their existence. And he watches over birds as they fly, rivers as they run, and children as they play. He also likes lightning and the wind. He just kind of covers a wide variety of things. Yeah. And then I don't know why he exists, because then you have Reamain the Creator. Created and continues to create anything that exists. So much for the spark of life, guy. <laughs> um, living, living beings may think Erevan uh, for or the other god for their life, but they have uh, this one to think for their physical body. Okay, that makes more sense. They did say the spark of life. His name is the spark, the other guy is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You have a few, you know, locations inside the Blessed Lands. Um, you have Korv, Kariv, the, one, the city we mentioned earlier where they mostly live, mm-hmm. the central city of the Blessed Lands, uh, a metropolis of more than one million people. Citizens enjoy plentiful food, plentiful food, warmth, indoor plumbing. Well, that's a plus. Yeah. Uh, lit streets and more conveniences. All provided by the power of. The sacred. That's nice. Um, yeah, I, I. The book does make it very clear. They give you this information, but they do not expect the player to stay here. It is not intended. You will not find much in this book about the details of this land because you're meant to go outside of it. Mm. Makes sense. I mean, this is a perfect land protected by gods. So what do you possibly need to do here? There, there would be no game if you stayed there. Yeah. Um, no challenge. Then you have a uh, Lorian. Home of the Sacred School, the Blessed Land's Greatest University. It's about 50,000 souls. Neral, also known as the Sparkling City, it's famous for its buildings and towers of stained glass designed to gleam in both sunlight and moonlight. I bet that's pretty. Though the power is generated by the sacred, craftspeople create magical glass and lights. People in the city, merchants sell glowing glass objects and such. Sounds kind of radioactive to me. Sedevus is a town located atop a plateau. I really wish some of these names are very creative and great. But I wish they would make some of them readable. Or at least put a pronunciation (laughs) next to it. A lot of these books do have stuff like that, but you have to flip to the back. And I'm not trying to do that while we're in a podcast. Um, Then you have some mountains. 
Um, the priesthood of the sacred run hospitals, schools, libraries, and various other institutions for public good. Most people can read and write in society. That's pretty nice. Yeah. You get a lot of people in D&D who say, my intelligence is low. I don't be doing that. <laughs> I don't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't true. You shouldn't, unless you just want to do it yourself or make it that way for yourself. Um, most importantly about these places, like I said, most importantly, uh, the gods prevent any sort of catastrophe from, catastrophe from coming to the land. It's just, they will not be having that. No thanks. Well, we need some of those. Yeah. Not catastrophes. The ones that prevent them. Yeah. The people of this blessed land barely understand the concept of such things like food shortages, cancer, natural disasters, let alone insurrection, apostasy or insurrection. So the book also points out that the latter two are probably worth a bit more of consideration. Disbelief isn't just rare, it's idiocy. I mean, it's kind of hard to disbelieve. It's still rude. Yeah. But yeah. The only people who find dissatisfaction with the abundant happiness and contentment of the lands are those who long for adventure and excitement. Those adventurers are rare, and there is no place in the blessed lands where they can find what they seek. They often wield skills and abilities beyond those of their fellow citizens, but have no cause to use them. You as a powerful so wizard. So they're bored. Yeah, you have a power, you're a powerful wizard or necromancer warrior. And you're in a place where nothing happens. I'm not any of those, and I would probably still get bored, Yeah, to be honest. You would have quickly been burnt as a witch at one point in time, Beth. <laughs> I just feel so bored. I want to go frolic in the forest, and I'm a witch. Yeah, you know what? It's worth it. There is doors, like holes in the world around these lands. They lead to other places. Portal. Portals. They lead to other places. Despite what the tut-tutting priests might say, these other places are not hell. Although the gods hold no sway there, and dangers are frequent and terrifying at times, they are other worlds, severed from Bonthier, but they're just as real. Populated by beings just as real as well. Another dimension. Yeah. There's only three doors that these people know of so far, the people of the Blessed Lands. One is extremely accessible and not really a door, but an entire bank of a river you can walk across. Uh, the other two are exceedingly inaccessible. There is no reason to believe there aren't more such doorways, though. They call the lands outside of this blessed land the God Forsaken, which is what the book gets its name from, because there is no gods there, at least not protecting it, apparently. Wonder why? I'm not sure. The gods cannot save us here. A frequent rallying cry of adventurers from the blessed lands and the God Forsaken lands. I mean, it makes sense. You have the River of Souls and Ondale Bridge. A traveler who wants to go to Levam. River of Souls. Yeah, can cross the River of Souls anywhere, but most common way is to use the Aldale Bridge. And then there's a tunnel in the sky. It travels to a, a realm called Firmament. One must use a Skywell craft or some other means of flight because the passage is more than 300 feet in the air. Other side of the gate offers some solid ground, though. And in fact, the safety of Castle Turian, which is apparently just right across the sky portal. <laughs> now, across the River of Souls, in a Levum, I think it's pronounced. It was the first to be explored because it is just pretty much across the river from the, you know. Um, no one in the Blessed Land can remember a time when Levum was unknown. As long as people have visited the River of Souls, they have known of Flevim, Flevim, whatever. The River of Souls marks the northwest boundary of the Blessed Land. For a long time, that land was known to be the land of the dead. But river not, of Souls. But it's not the case. It is, however, a land of many spiritual entities, ghosts, and undead and such. 
Spirits inhabit and uh, represent natural features, like the forest, rivers, mountains, and so on. These are called shoom. S-H-O-U-M. Shaum? These are called shaum. I I don't know. (laughs) Um, Like I said, need some sort of pronunciation if they're going to have such crazy names. Ask anyone in a vault, and they'll tell you a tale. Once there were two sorcerers, twin siblings, and each built a tower in which to live and practice their arts. These two towers stood many miles apart, but as time passed, the link between the siblings created a link between the towers, and over the centuries, or over many years, I should say, the towers drew closer and closer together. Eventually, they stood next to each other and remained so today. When the sorcerers died, other people moved into these towers and built onto the structures, so they grew and grew. Many more years passed, and the towers developed into a sort of vertical city, hundreds of feet tall. A whole city? However, the distinct nature of being two towers means that they are, in fact, two cities side by side in their own way. Yes, and there is a photo in the book, a picture. Uh, One brother clearly chose pointed roof towers. Mm -hmm. Like Like a normal tower. Like a church steeple, but they're all over. Like every different section he built onto his tower has another one of those steeples. Mm -hmm. Now, the other brother built his tower a little bit taller, or the people have since. Mm -hmm. And he's got domed roofs on all his add-ons. I want to show you an image. So one looks like a normal castle, and one looks like, I want to say Egypt. Would it be Egypt? I think you're thinking of a mosque's curved or domed roof. Yeah. Is that what we're thinking of? Yeah. But they are... One of them looks like it was built... It's like, like the Kremlin, and one looks like it was built like a church. Old-fashioned twin towers. Yeah. Just think of paternal, the, paternal twins, I yeah. think is what it's called. Because um, they don't look cool. alike. Now, this is, there is necromancers and stuff in this city. Your might attribute will feel weak, be weaker here. It regenerates slower. So it is kind of like a sucking your life out of you slowly in huh. its own way. And there's literally a picture of a woman covered in bone armor uh, summoning a corpse out of the mud. So I can see why people thought that it might be the land that it did. The tunnel in the sky. Permanent. Didn't we already have a tunnel in the sky? Yeah, but I'm going into more detail about each one. Oh, that was okay. the river across the river place. This is the permanent, the tunnel in the sky. Oh. If it wasn't for powerful divination magic, uh, provided, of course, by the gods, the gate to permanent would never have been discovered, being 300 feet in the sky. To travel to permanent, one must use a sky well. We'd uncovered that. The permanent appears to be a wide expanse of rocky hills of frequent cold streams cutting across the landscape, bringing life in the form of broad-leafed trees and swaying tall grasses, as well as blue-green lichen, with days marked by two suns, they're very long days, uh, Mm. and skies of multiple moons. This realm has known little true darkness (laughs) in its time. It would seem so. Yeah. Castle Turian, passing into Firmament on a skywell, very likely on a skywell or a similar craft. Adventurers emerge into the vast courtyard of castle of a castle built from brown and white stones. Although skywells can fly in in the firmament, they are exceedingly reluctant to do so, eager to return as quickly as possible to Bonthir. The castle was built a decade earlier by a legendary adventurer named Turian. Who would have thought? Uh, with the help of a trio of sorcerers, he and his he created this place so that those following in his footsteps would have a safe refuge. I would hope so. Turian is an old man now and has chosen to live at his days in firmament. He tries uh, to greet all those who pass through the portal, accompanied by small but 
capable retinue of paid servants and guards. He asks for news, usually, from his homeland. Oh, here I am, avoiding it. The Forlorian are a people one does not mistake for any other, though they stand about five feet tall, but they are very muscular. And this is just a land of hills and rivers. You could play as one of these characters, by the way. This place is less exciting than the undead place. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a fan of undead. And each of these have huge sections about the land, so you don't just get, let it get, you know. I'll just tell you the basics in the beginning and move on. Korakmar, through the doorway beneath the mountain. Korakmar is not a uh, Borinthine name, but, it, but the name given to the land by the Mord, the dominant inhabitants of the realm. Did the other portal I was talking about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said there was three. Uh, this is a dimly lit place of cold winds and bare black rock. Sounds terrible. The air here burns the inside of one's nose and throat. The I rain, don't want to go there. The rain is worse. The entire land seems to be vibrant with sickness, although none of the native creatures seem infected. The flesh of the visitors grows raw, their eyes ache, and even their bones seem to weaken. I would leave. Korkmar is cold, also. And visitors will feel uh, the need to wear winter clothing. A wise adventurer brings some resistant to acid rains that tend to fall. Why are people going there? Winds may howl across the bare wastes of dark stone, but there is life here. What's more, the people of Korkmar, the Mord, are wise and ancient folk, but their nature is one that is hard for a human to fully understand. It is possible to forge bonds and uh, agreements with them, but they are no strangers to treachery. I don't know if that means they do treachery or they are treachered. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no stranger to treachery. I get the feeling I've been wronged. That's how I, I want that to sound. How do you think it sounds? It sounds like a terrible place to go. Yeah. All the way around. And then they're getting treachered. Yeah. <laughs> or causing it. Either way. Yeah. Either both. way, it's apparently mm. doesn't sound like a very pleasant area. Um, the pale white sun gives off far less light than the sun up on there. Even stranger, it does not move across the sky. It has no night. Just a sickly dim twilight that lasts for eternity. Until the acid rain, I guess. After spending what in Bonthier residence would consider about two days, or 48 hours, in Korakmar, uh, characters must make a might defense roll difficulty of four, which means you'd have to roll a 12. Mm-hmm. Each morning, those who fail will suffer one point of might damage and one point of speed damage and subtract one from their recovery rolls when they go to recover their... <laughs> and uh, it does go on about how to handle the acid rain. Um, Better be a special umbrella. The landscape of Korkmar can be summed up with one word, black. The plants of the land are black rather than green. Much of the rock is black and volcanic. Korkmar is geologically unstable, with volcanoes erupting and vents blasting boiling water and rock. It is a dark and bleak stay for any visitor. They have adapted to this, of course, the people who live here. The Mord could be mistaken for uh, hairless humans of vinous flesh. I think that's the word. Their eyes are all white with no pupil. Most stand about six to seven feet tall, and a typical uh, Mord would be considered muscular compared to a human. They are huge (laughs) and muscular, and they look dead. Yeah. Um. They dress flamboyantly or regally. I like the word flamboyant. Their structures are highly decorative and also flamboyant. Um, curvy with the occasional sharp point. They communicate intuitively. That is to say, 
If they want to be understood by someone, they instinctively know how to do so. Like, I just understand how to talk to you. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. Um, I do see in the image here a small bridge leading to a volcano lava pit. And inside the lava pit is a small island with a castle on top of dragons flying around it. Typical. Yeah. Uh, the mortar, both savage and serene, contradictions on two legs, pretty much. Their temperament depends on the elaborate movement of Cork Mars' tiny moons. There is a lot of them, like I said. So the way the, their moons work, about 90 to 95% of the time, they're very calm lives for these people, and probably towards you as well. And then all of a sudden, one day, the moons rise the wrong way, or I guess the moons are just there. It's <laughs> so bright. So one day, and one slightly dimmer day, the moons are there, and they just go wild. <laughs> the moon's out today. No, they're uh, moons. Multitudinous. Our moons are out today. I wake up and choose violence. Yeah. 90, that's that 5% chance. <laughs> uh, or 10 to 5% chance. They have a big market that's called uh, Board and Gobs Market. Funeral Sea. I wouldn't want to go to any place made of water in this place. Or If the rain is acid, then no, I don't oh, either. They are quite salty. And they're dangerous to travel on. Ice floats in the salty water. So yeah, Beth, out of all this mess I've tried to explain to you, would you ever consider playing this? <laughs> that one Numenera place- sounds better. That This one was just, it sounds like it could be good. It was just really difficult to follow. They don't intend for you really to use their setting. They, the whole front part of the book is them explaining how to use any setting it's yeah. a fantasy setting from any source, like Dresden Files, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. They literally name these things off as possible settings yeah. to use with this book. So they give you the foundation, then they give you something pre-made you could use it with if you really want to. That's the way all these books are going to work, by the way. So if it wasn't in Godforsaken Land, and it was in something like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. I mean, it does sound like it could be good, but like I said, it was really... It was just really difficult, and I don't want my... I'm lazy. You I don't want that much of a challenge. You wouldn't have that much of a challenge. It would, um, you would only be worrying about one of these locations, most likely. Like, then what is the point of all the have, others? It's for people like me who, if you run a long campaign, you can travel from one to the other. Ooh, I don't like long either. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing if you do like these kinds of games, you are more likely to like a long type thing. So I could see why some people would like it, but I get too bored if it lasts too long. Yeah. Well. I, and if it's difficult to follow, which that seemed pretty difficult. Well, it's just the world. The, the, everything in the front of the book is not so difficult. Now, um, in the core Cypher System rulebook, it does have a setting for fantasy, like already in it. Not a setting, but rules on how to make the blank rules you get in the Cypher mm-hmm. System into a fantasy setting. This is just a supplement to add on top of that. It gives you more of those rules to better make it, you know, to better build your world Mm -hmm. without having to find a way around certain things. I really want to try this sometime, but I don't think I'll run it in the setting. Mm -hmm. I would run it in a standard D&D Forgotten Realms or something. Yeah. They literally list the Forgotten Realms in here too from the D&D setting. So, <laughs> um, 
It costs about $49.99. That's what it is on the back of the book. But you can get the PDF a little bit cheaper on Monty Cook's website. I will list an Amazon link, which might be cheaper in general. It'll be an affiliate link. So if you buy it from the, the description in the podcast, the podcast description, if you buy it from the description, if you buy it from the link in the description of this podcast, it might be cheaper and we would get a little bitty portion of the sale. It won't cost you any more, but we'll get a portion of the sale. It'd help us keep things going here. Uh, I guess that's all. We, um, Beth and I have another podcast. It's called Horrific History and Hauntings. We do a, well, Beth, tell us about it. It's pretty self-explanatory from the title. It's about horrific events in history and also throw some supernatural or hauntings in there, paranormal, and maybe some true crime dashed in there. I also have a podcast I do with my friend Dakota. It's called uh, Leveling Duo. We talk about games, video games that we really liked growing up and some now, of course. And we just discuss how that affected us and how we think about things since we haven't played them in a while. Beth was on the one of the episodes and was talking about Sims. Because <laughs> we don't play Sims, me and Dakota. All these podcasts can be found in the link in the description of this episode as well. It will take you to the podcasting network site, Gruesome Gaming Group, and you can click on any podcast you see there, and it'll take you to the home page, or you can play a sample of them. Each web page for each podcast will have a option to tip us if you really want to. You don't have to. Like I said, it helps pay the hosting fees, but I also have a Twitter account for Gruesome Gaming Group. It's called Gruesome Gaming G. You can get a contact of us there. I really appreciate y'all listening. Anyway, that's all for tonight. I've been Ramey. And I'm Beth. And this has been Brother Nose Quest.